0: From Kurt Co. Media. This is Cars That Matter.
1: This is Robert Ross with another episode of Kurt Co.'s Cars That Matter. Today, we're going to talk about a car that most people have never even heard of. And I'm talking with someone who most people who own that car have heard of. The car is Morgan, and my guest is Dennis Glavis, friend and compatriot in the Morgan world. Dennis, it's great to have you here. Hey,
0: great to be here.
1: Uh, Dennis is not one to blow his own horn, so I'm going to do that for him. Dennis is the owner of Morgan West, Santa Monica-based Morgan dealer, and really probably the beating heart of the mark in America. Certainly, Dennis has done more to keep the mark alive during its various fits and starts, which, well, started long before both Dennis and I were born. Actually, started around 1909 when H.F.S. Morgan opened his little Morgan company. Still a little Morgan company. And, Dennis, I think you'll tell us a lot more about that as our conversation ensues. Sure. It's amazing. You drive a Lamborghini or a Porsche and a Ferrari, and so many times you're met as often with an extended central digit as you are a friendly
0: wave of the hand. Nobody hates a Morgan. Uh, It brings out the best in people. When you drive it, when you own it, when you just look at it as an owner... Or it's just a spectator. It just elicits a very positive response that vintage cars tend to, but especially Morgans. For those who haven't seen one, close your eyes and imagine
1: a car made in 1936, which is, if I'm not mistaken, Dennis, when the first four-wheeled Morgan was made. Yes. And imagine a car that really looks fundamentally the same today as it did back then. Now, of course, the mechanical underpinnings are all new, but these are made in the same way that they have been made, literally, for decades and decades and decades and decades.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's still a hand-assembled car. Most of the, well, the ash framings made at the factory. The assembly of the aluminum body, they used to be steel, but they've been alloy for quite a while, is done at the factory. The louvers are hand-cut into the bonnet halves, and it's mostly done by eye. Most of the people that work there are actually, the average age is only about 32 or 33 but they're very often third generation or fourth amazing. generation sons grandsons great grandsons of original employees that's really amazing where where are morgan's made I know they're English, but
1: where are they made? At the factory, of course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Malvern, England, which is the northwest tip of the Cotswolds. and it's a gorgeous town. It's built on the side of a mountain. It has about 19 colleges and universities. Gorgeous cathedral. It was originally a spa town in the 1800s for wealthy Londoners, wealthy Europeans to come and either bathe or drink the medicinal waters, which are absolutely disgusting to taste. I must tell you, I've tried them.
1: Well, I prefer the 86 proof (laughs) and higher uh, medicinal waters that come out of the British Isles. I can't tell you what a fun car the Morgan is. True confession, I was an owner of a Plus 8 for a number of years, thanks to Dennis. It was actually a gift I gave myself when I turned 50. I thought, well, I'm too old to buy another motorcycle. Well, not really, but maybe. But the Morgan seemed like the closest thing. And I swear that I have never had more fun with any car I've ever driven.
0: Yeah, well, you're riding so close to the ground, incredibly low center of gravity. You have cutaway doors so you could trim your nails on the sidewalk <laughs> or the street as you drive, if you want. That view down that long louvered bonnet is just wonderful. You can feel the wind in your hair, smell things. I often think when I first moved to L.A. 20 years ago to open Morgan West, I'm stuck in traffic on the freeways, and I'm not used to that whatsoever. And I'm going, God, this is terrible. I'm in an open car, and then suddenly I smell this absolutely wonderful aroma. And I realize that sitting there on the center divider, there's some wildflowers that have erupted and they're in full blossom. And if I were in any normal car, I'd have never had that experience. Isn't that and great? it just made everything yeah. great with the world. I mean, I was suddenly so happy that I was driving a Morgan that I was fortunate enough to be stuck in traffic. It's that positive aspect that the world goes by too fast when you're in an enclosed cocoon, air-conditioned radio or podcast. That's right. Podcast blaring. And (laughs) the great thing about the Morgan
1: is even though they do actually have air conditioning and radios these days, if you so desire, you don't need any of that to have the kind of fun you're talking about.
0: Yeah, I never listen to the radio when I'm driving the Morgan. I've got it in a few of my cars, never turned it on. Absolutely. I just love listening to the engine, sound of the exhaust, it purrs, uh, uh, deep snarls. It just does everything you want it to do.
1: What a great car it was. Explain to our audience what the Plus 8 was and why it was such a really an amazing car.
0: Well, their most popular car was called the Plus 4. Let me go over the enumeration. The first Morgan car was a 4-4, meaning four wheels and four cylinders. They built that from 36 continuously. They still built it. But the plus mm-hmm. four meant plus performance over the 4.4. And that used a larger standard Vanguard engine, was introduced in late 1950, a little bit wider chassis. Even the British population were getting a little bit older. A larger. little bigger by
1: the, by the right, generation. Huh? Right. It,
0: it is amazing if you've spent a lot of time in England to see the older people how short they really That's are right. or were. And you, you see these illustrations of like four people luxuriating in <laughs> a uh, four-seater <laughs> three-wheeler, and now you can barely put your foot in one. I That's mean, right. we've just gotten so much bigger. But then all the new smog standards started to come into effect in 67. Triumph no longer was building the four-cylinder TR3, TR4 engine. Which actually propelled most of the Morgans during the
1: 60s and yeah. was so successful in competition at the time.
0: Yeah, that was the plus four. There are several SCCA championships. Lou Spencer in particular won. That's right. They won the GT class in 62 with the Supersport, which was an aluminum lightweight.
1: That was a green Le Mans that you had. You've owned a number of Supersports. Yeah, right?
0: I still have three of them and I have a fourth under almost about two weeks away from finishing restoration. A man can never have too many Morgans. No. Still my favorite sports car in the world as far as performance, feel, sound. Just an an amazing car. Really an amazing car. Anyhow, the need came up to find a replacement engine for the Triumph because it wasn't built anymore. The TR6 came out. The six-cylinder would not fit. Too long. Yeah, too long of an engine to fit in the existing chassis. So there was one engineer... And Bill Fink, Isis Imports, they worked together and they took an old Buick, just an old used engine. An old 215? Yeah, an old 215 aluminum V8. And jammed it in and put a couple of bumps on the top. It fit. And the the performance was unbelievable. Well, it was a car that weighed, what, 1,800 pounds probably at the time? Yeah, 1,800 pounds and, you know, a tuned version. An aluminum V8, that's uh, good for something. Yeah, it's anywhere from 185. If it had a cam, it'd be like 225 horsepower. I mean, it was literally the same as a 260 or stock early 289 Cobra. But it had more creature comforts, albeit not many more, <laughs> <laughs> than the Cobras did. And, and, I mean, it was just, it was basically a British hot rod. That's right. But it became a production car, and demand was unbelievable for it. They actually built that version using the aluminum V8, which became, from General Motors, they sold the rights, to Lamb Rover, Range Rover. They built that engine through about 93 BMW had bought Range Rover. They decided to use their own V8, which was too large to fit in the Morgan, hence the Ford V6 evolved. But for 35 years... That was the primary selling Morgan automobile. Things evolved in terms of quality control, the quality of paint, leathers used, assembly using stainless steel instead of, you know, very thin chrome, having galvanized chassis instead of just hand-painted chassis, and it, it became a much, much better car.
1: Quote-unquote modern car. In fact, when I met you, I'd bought my 35th anniversary, which was a 2003 model, the right. last of the Mohicans, as right. it were. A
0: modern relic, if you a, will. A modern, I mean, it was it was like driving, you know, a Corvette of the ilk, uh, a C2 like or a C2 C3 Corvette. body. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, two, C2, live yeah. axle, and just this really great V8 that had monstrous torque. You hardly ever had to shift it if you didn't want to. Plenty of horsepower, made great rumbling sounds. Great acceleration. I mean, it was a workhorse engine that would almost never wear out. It was just modern emissions and the lack of, as I mentioned, Morgan having that engine available from Range Rover anymore that had them change engines. That's right. So that
1: that poor little dinosaur went extinct, but replaced by some pretty exciting cars. You talked about the Roadster, which came afterward with a Ford V6, identical in appearance for all intents and purposes. All of a sudden, after the V6, Roadster comes this thing, at least
0: in the Morgan universe, that looked like it came from outer space, the Arrow 8. What was that? That was an attempt by Morgan, Charles Morgan's design. Charles, the uh, grandson of the founder, HMS. Is that right? And his dad was Peter? HFS. HFS was the founder. He was originally a bicycle designer trained in railroad engineering as most people of his generation were who were very well educated and interested in engineering and that evolved into building his own bicycle company he then became an agent for three other manufacturers not british and he became the bus depot in malvern and maintaining all the all the bus lines but he had this dream and from the idea of motorized bicycles became the three-wheeler his son peter worked with him at the factory hfs died in 59 peter took over and i was lucky enough to spend a lot of time with peter back in 99 i was his host for the 90th anniversary of morgan celebrations at pebble beach and it lasted about a week And I wore the poor old guy out. But I I just heard marvelous, marvelous stories. He would tell me how he and his father would fight, have these like almost knock down, drag out arguments at the factory over the future cars. (laughs) And I mean, the stories were just absolutely wonderful. And he ran the company until he brought Charles and Charles had been a cameraman for the BBC during the Afghan-Russian War and, and was a war correspondent and cameraman there. It was under fire. I mean, just amazing stuff. He's a bit of a swashbuckler. I know when
1: I had a chance to meet him, I was impressed with his character and his charisma.
0: Yeah, he's what you would expect, and he's not, but he, his characteristics are like British royalty. He's very tall, thin, very elegant man, very young-appearing, long arms and legs, gestures... And he's great on camera because of his television background. A-, a Marvelous spokesman for the company. And he was a managing director for many, many years with Peter coming to his office every day, working, but letting Charles take over Then they would argue for years. And then unfortunately, <laughs> Peter passed away in 2002 and Charles took over. And now the company has a whole board that basically runs it. But the Arrow 8, was Charles' dream to build a lightweight, ultra modern sports car with almost Formula One derived suspension, a much higher performance BMW V8 engine, all aluminum chassis, aluminum suspension, bodywork. And still had the aesthetic characteristics of a Morgan, but as
1: if it were catapulted into the 21st century. Well, which it was.
0: Yeah, it was actually a modern drophead, which was one of the body styles in that it did not have cutaway doors. Right, And it had a folding top instead of a top you got out and diserected and then folded (laughs) it up and threw it in the back. It, It went through... A bunch of sorting, the initial ones, the windshields would crack, they would leak like sieves along the top of the windshield. Just sorting problems, but aesthetically, it was, it was a really, really striking car um, performance-wise. It was unbelievable. It went through about eight generations over 20 years and eventually became probably about the most popular car, the most successful car that Morgan had built, despite most Morgan dyed-in-the-wool lifelong enthusiasts saying, oh, that's not a Morgan. <laughs> but what you discover yeah. is that that's the same thing that was said when the four-wheeler was brought out in 1936. Yeah. You Isn't know, that If It's got four wheels. It's not a Morgan. Isn't that when amazing? When the plus four came out, oh, that's not a Morgan. It Just every generation is just imbued with a love of what they either have or want, and they tend to look backwards.
1: You, you talked about that BMW relationship. As, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, when Charles Morgan and Karl-Heinz Kolbfeld of BMW, or Rolls-Royce and BMW, were racing in side-by-side paddocks, conversation ensued, and the topic of engines came up, and all of a sudden, BMW was talking to Morgan about
0: being a supplier. Is that correct? Yeah, and I, I've Been with Charles when, like, the then president of Audi walked up to us and said to Charles, I want to buy many of your Aero chassis, I want to build a sports car around it. And I thought, well, that's great. And Charles looked at him <laughs> and said, no one will ever use a Morgan chassis other than Morgan on a car. <laughs> and I, well, is that went, great? Oh.
1: <laughs> so BMW and Morgan it was. And I guess today the BMW power plants are, are really remarkable things. The V8s are compact and small. And, of course, the inline sixes are small, too. And maybe with that you want to talk about the new Morgans that are being
0: proposed. We all know BMW engineering is among the finest, if not the finest, in the world. Their assembly techniques, their attention to quality is perhaps unsurpassed. Using those engines in a super lightweight car like a Morgan really fascinated the people at BMW, especially in motorsport. They brought out the Z8 at about the same time that Morgan brought out ah, the era, that's right. They did. They did. And the Z8 weighs about 1,100 pounds more, even with its aluminum chassis and aluminum body. It's just, it's a big car compared to the Morgan. And they were very disappointed. BMW engineers, when they saw the Morgan, they were disappointed in their Z8. They, they thought it was just a Big old hog of a car, so they wanted to cooperate, making clear that they both used the same V8 engine. Ultimately, right? They were fascinated with you know Morgan, how they develop things in house, and they really at that time they didn't have any CAD designers. They really only have one designer. But again, going back to the BMW engines, what Morgan has just started building and introduced to the world is called the Plus Six. It looks like a traditional Morgan, ever so slightly, a couple of nuance of squarer angles, but to the newcomer, you'd say they're virtually identical. But it uses an all-alloy chassis, uses all-alloy suspension integrated into the chassis. It uses state-of-the-art four-wheel disc brakes, an eight-speed ZF, and that incredible inline-six twin-turbo. Detuned M4 engine. And I had the privilege to drive one last time I was at the factory about three months ago. And all I can tell you, it's just an amazing car in terms of performance. It's comfortable. It's got more room than the V6 or the Plus 8 had. Not a huge amount more room, but it makes a difference once you're inside the car. The quality is second to none. The materials, the assembly. I mean it's a breathtaking car to drive. And I really think it'll be the equivalent or is the equivalent of almost any sports car in the world in terms of performance characteristics.
1: Speaking of taking around the block, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Dennis about what it's like to drive some of his Morgans and the driving that he's done, not just on the street, but on the track. We'll be right back. Sometimes the exceptional is not the biggest budget. Sometimes the exceptional is someone's ability to actually take their soul and print it on the screen for a moment. I want to learn everything that there is to know about the filmmaking process. I think part of art is hearing from the artists who create it. The number of different visions, the number of different qualifications that have to go into making any film is insurmountable. And hearing those stories can be just as exciting and insightful as the movies themselves.
0: Certain movies or certain scores, certain acts have shaped who I am as a person. I have such appreciation for the things that people produce
1: and the work that goes into it. Whether
0: it's the writer who came up with the story in general or how the filmmakers were able to take that from the page and put it onto screen. And then from the actors themselves who were able to kind of bring that all to life.
1: All of it is what I want to hear because it makes me love my favorite movies even more. I'm Scott Talal. If you love movies like I do, you're going to love Hollywood Unscripted.
0: Wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi, my name is Chris Porter from When Last I Left. The show you've been listening to is sponsored by ProudSource Water. Not only do they distribute their water in these stylish and recyclable aluminum bottles... But the water itself is sustainably sourced and naturally filtered. ProudSource Water believes in the ripple effects, that one person's actions can impact the world for the better. You do your part, and I do mine, and maybe we come out better than we started. So go to ProudSourceWater.com to learn more about the company, their vision, and their water. Leave the
0: world better than you found it. Drink ProudSource Water.
1: Welcome back. Dennis, talking about driving those Morgans, it's not just a car you drive on the street, but they were big and continue to be big in vintage motorsport. I know you participate in that quite a bit with a few cars.
0: Tell us about those. Personally, I've run two flat rad Morgans for about... No, 28 years. I stopped racing about two years ago. Just flat rad,
1: meaning the flat radiator. Flat The first radiator. iteration
0: before they got that kind of little rounded radiator in front. Exactly. The, the plus fours were built with the flat radiator starting in late 1950 through 1953. My own not-so-illustrious vintage race career, I did the Carrera Panamericana in Mexico oh. three times in the flat rad, flat radiator Morgan, plus four, that we called the Flying Haggis, if you're familiar with the the Scottish.
1: I'm familiar with that delicacy, and I use that with large air quotes around it. I believe one is actually served at the annual Morgan meet with great pomp and ceremony. But yes, the
0: Flying Haggis, I've seen the car, of course, and that was quite a machine. Well... We transported it to Mexico to Tuxla La as the first the starting point for that was the eighty eight race. And the Mexican transporter that brought it down rolled and crashed outside Guadalajara and burned to the ground and six of the eight cars burned to the ground. <laughs> and we're there day after day waiting to find out what two cars didn't burn to the ground. And then we suddenly got word that the Hudson didn't burn, and the Morgan partially burned. A truck arrives, and all the Carrera Panamericana, all the livery on the car is all bubbled. The paint on one side of the car from the heat from other cars. And the wood framing that is broken in half. Oh, no. Just absolutely in half. So that when you drive the car and go around the corner, the wood that the wheel wells are made of Rubs against the inside of the tire, and you get this wonderful smoke effect. Symphony symphony (laughs) of the smell of 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 burning rubber. And (laughs) and rubber, yeah. So we raced it, and it never failed us. We finished sixth in class. The interior was missing from the car. (laughs) (laughs) So we go, what are we going to do? Because the only thing behind the seat back is a one by one piece of wood, which is your seat back adjustment. So we had no seat back and no cushions. There were just two wood boxes. And we just stole about six or seven pillows from the hotel we were staying at and <laughs> sat on those and strapped ourselves, strapped them under the racing straps (laughs) I hope there
1: are pictures of this fiasco because it just sounds amazing and you get hazard pay for even thinking about enduring that and Uh, and coming in sixth in
0: class uh, amazing it was great it was absolutely great and we ran that same car We fixed the chassis and never fixed the paint. That was kind of a souvenir. That's right. And ran it the next two years and never not finished. I mean, I don't even remember where we placed in the automobile menor, the little cars class. But we had some incredible races with the fellow from Pink Floyd, Nick Mason. Yeah, Yeah, he had a a Lancia. We could pull him in the corners, but he had a higher top end. We'd go down these, like, 10-mile-long straightaways, and he'd be just inching, 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 go past us and very slowly disappear. And the last leg on the last day was about a 25-mile straightaway. And it was just pedal to the metal the whole way. And we're just—you stay right on the crown of the center of the road in case you wander or something coming along. And we're just doing 115. The car became an aerodynamic brick at that speed. Of with course. Front end. Yeah. And there's an armadillo just <laughs> oh, ambling no. very oh, slowly. It's no. oh, not going to be a good and story. And we're yelling, get out of the lake. <laughs> Luckily, we avoided him. He avoided us safely. That's great. And That's the best great. part is, what do we come upon? Nick Mason, broken down. <laughs> Hi, well, Nick. Hi, Nick. Oh,
1: man alive. <laughs> he should have been in his 250 GTO. <laughs> that might have been the only way to escape you for good. Well, I, I guess the, the Morgan stories just are almost endless because the characters that own these cars are endless. Like I say, I mean, when I used to join the club for some of the annual dinners and whatnot, I met some of the biggest characters of any car club I've ever met in my life, and certainly you probably know them all.
0: Yeah, we've had some amazing experiences, and I was in the Northern California Morgan Club for, well, I'm still in it, but I was an active member when I lived there for about 30 years, and, you know, now I'm I'm down here the last 20 years, but... The characters we had were were just amazing, and and just the experiences. A lot of the three-wheeler guys were kind of the British Hells Angels of the club, uh, except it was without no drugs, (laughs) no guns. I'll take that back. Yes, there were guns. I'm sure Uh, there were. And, I mean, just the things they would do, they'd outrun police through neighborhood. I mean, it was kind of silly stuff. And one of the the characters we were at, the Casa Moon Ross was our base, and it was also the base for the Aston Martin guys and their wives. But that's a different crowd. Yeah, but they (laughs) helped us. And and, and this is the early days when guys Mm -hmm. drove DB4s, DB5s, DB6s. Back when a DB4 was just an old used car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were just a big iron lump engine. So we're in the bar (laughs) of the Casa Moon Ross, uh, the Aston guys and the Morgan guys, and we're all telling lies to each other, fishing stories. And one of the fellows with us was John Coombs. John Coombs had been kicked out of England. He was a dwarf, a little person, and his father was Clary Coombs. Clary Coombs was considered the world's greatest expert on F-type three-wheelers and had bought one new, and that was his everyday car until he passed away in the late 90s. In fact, Clary didn't even have a telephone in the rural area. He got that in the mid-90s, trying to modernize his life. But anyhow, the reason John was kicked out of England was that John loved to drink. And being as small as he was, he couldn't hold his liquor at all. And everyone knew it, and all he wanted to do was fight. So his kind of caretaker and fellow imbiber carried a... Chrome 45 strapped to his ankle for God knows what reason, just because he thought it was cool, whatever. He was kind of a wild man. And John is standing on a bar stool, obviously had way too much drink, says to the bartender, you know, I want, give me another Irish whiskey. And the bartender says, hey, you're cut off, buddy. And John goes, cut off, cut off. And you turn around and there's, this dwarf running down the top of the bar, <laughs> leaps and gets the bartender by the throat and starts choking him, screaming that he wants more booze. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a Morgan owner. Yeah, and then his protector, Cohen Biber, pulls out his forty-five, runs and grabs John under his arm and runs out the back door. Well, the bartender had called the police. They were there in minutes. The Aston Martin guys were all leaning against the front door, keeping the police from entering <laughs> <laughs> Till. John made the getaway. <laughs> that sounds like a Peter
1: Sellers <laughs> comedy. By the way, the one in which he drove a, a three-wheel. three-wheeled Morgan. Yeah. Well, he yeah. was a
0: four-wheeler owner also. Was he really? Yeah.
1: The benefits of being famous, I guess. But the fact is the the cars have been owned by a lot of famous people and a lot of people that no one's ever heard of, and yet they all share the same experiences.
0: Yeah, it's just a love of life. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, just the, there's something about the car that absolutely no other car in the world has. Almost, it gets in your DNA. You'll never sell a Morgan and be happy you sold it. I have literally <laughs> never. I've sold thousands of Morgans in the last forty forty eight years. I have never bought one. They're taken one and trade from somebody that said I just didn't like it.
1: Never. Yeah. That's right. I rue the day I ever sold mine no. back to you, and I'm going to remedy that mistake as soon as the new plus six is here. It, Morgan does get in your blood, under your skin, all the kinds of things that, in the same way that a big Harley V-Twin or a Porsche 911 gets under an enthusiast's skin, and once you've had one of those, ridden one, driven one, you just you, you can't ever kind of not have one. Let's imagine for a minute that you could have any three cars—
0: Cost and rarity be damned. What uh, what would you want? Well, there are the production cars, and then there are the creme de la creme cars. I'd probably want the two hundred and fifty GTO or a Series Two two hundred and fifty mm-hmm. GTO. Ah, ah, the notchback, the yes. notchback. I actually right. sold one of those. Did you really for fourteen thousand dollars? Good heavens! You you <laughs> you you robbed them. <laughs> <laughs> to a, no, just tore his head off. To a fellow named Bob Epstein. I mean, Bob would drive a car. Back then, it was just the inception of the collector car market. It wasn't really... People liked the looks of the, the series, series 1. Series 1, yeah. More. So these were less expensive. I mean, it was just like 427s. A lot of people say, oh, it's too bulbous. The 289 is the pure Cobra. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Bob, who lives in L.A., and was driving a TR3 last time I saw him (laughs) instead of the 427 SC Cobra he bought from us and then the 250 Series 2 GTO. But, I mean, it was just amazing, the cars we had. Miura SVs, that one of my best friends up north who now lives in the trailer park here, up on... Oh, heavens. yeah, Yeah, right above the beach, Zuma here. He came in and he said, God, you've got that restored SV Miura. And he says, "That's let me tell you, that's a car I've always wanted. Let's go for a drive. If I like it, I'll take it. I said, great. So we pulled it out, and we're driving. And, of course, his knees are up behind his (laughs) ears. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And he's leaning back, and the carburetors are doing their thing. Six
1: inches from the back of your head.
0: Yeah, and it's just drilling through his head. I loved it, but he said, this is the most uncomfortable car I've ever been in my life. <laughs> How does anyone drive this thing? That's I said, right. That's the beauty of it. You know, it's all... It's all It's all it, animal. It, it's, it's all yeah, machine. It's yeah. all... Uh, I, I said it's all about the experience. There's nothing, no other car in the world looks like this and feels like this. And you get used to any driving position. why the mirrors have such a following. Right. Yeah. And he just, he passed. And I'm sure he's thought about it many, many times. He's owned anything he's wanted, but I'm sure he's thought about that more than once in retrospect.
1: That's pretty funny. So you've got a, okay, let's imagine you've got
0: that Ferrari in the stable. Pick two more. Probably either an XKSS or a D-Type Jag. That's hard to beat either. Yeah. yeah. And we sold a couple of those. Did you really? The Steve McQueen. Oh, the one that's uh, in the Peterson now. Yeah. That's the SS in the Peterson Museum. Right. Richard Freshman owned that for years. Oh, he's out in Chatsworth, right? Right, yeah. right. And he couldn't get it sold. I mean, he advertised it for like two years. Well, who'd, sh- who'd want one when he could have a more modern A-type? <laughs> <laughs> he even shipped it to a potential buyer in Europe. Just, if you like it, buy it. If you don't, ship it back. And the Amazing. guy shipped it back. Amazing. Yeah, again, the status... They were just old, used cars. There were no collector cars, except some pre-war stuff. You know, it was the same guys usually selling them. They were mostly all in L.A. That's right. Okay, so you got a Jag and a Ferrari. Round it out. One of my favorite cars, and I've owned three of them. It's not that valuable, but in terms of just a delight and an exciting car to drive— is a Lotus Elan Sprint drophead. Yeah, what a beautiful car. Well, just the the steering, you exhale and you're changing lanes. That's right. And the acceleration, I mean, you're this tiny little cockpit. It's kind of like a Morgan in a lot of ways, almost like a race car. You're just cramped in it, but it is so direct. All your senses are activated driving it. I mean, it's an absolutely... Brilliant and thrilling little car, paperweight construction, uh, eggshell construction. That's right. And one of my favorite things about it was it had power windows were standard after the first year in a car like that. (laughs) It's not the power windows, but it was the owner's manual when you looked up power windows and how to operate them. And it said under, in big letters, under no circumstances ever attempt to activate both power windows <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> the correct draw- the- they should have put the drawing of like this oh, like, nuclear, nuclear uh, mushroom reactor. cloud oh, above this. Yeah,
1: the, the entire electrical <laughs> system would melt down with all that current running through it. What a great story. Well I'm sure we'd need to make a fourth space to put a Morgan in the garage because every garage needs one. Well, Dennis, it's fun having you here. I really appreciate your coming by and spending time with our audience and introducing folks to a mark that they should know more about. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Dennis Glavis at Morgan West in Santa Monica for joining me today on Cars That Matter. Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. This episode was hosted by Robert Ross, produced by Chris Porter, sound engineering by Michael Kennedy, theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick, edited by A.J. Mosley, recorded at Kurt Coe's Malibu Podcast Studios, additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Tune in to Cars That Matter wherever you rev up your podcasts. I'm Robert Ross. Thanks for listening.
0: Kurt Coe Media. Media for your mind.